0: Ephesians 2, 11 through 18. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. All
1: right, good afternoon everybody. So, (laughs) hey Brian. Hi Mark. It's at Christmas time you gotta have a little fun. And so the fun I had was choose a passage that says circumcised a couple times. <laughs> Let's go ahead and pray. Father, it's no joke when we sing that we need you. Um And it's a good prayer when we sing, asking you to teach our songs to rise to you. So often temptation does come our way. God, we are in a place where we rejoice that you've come and we desperately want you to come back. Speak the good news of your gospel to our hearts so that we can have your peace I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we're in our second week right now of Advent. Many of you may be familiar with Advent, like maybe if you grew up in a high church sort of environment, if you grew up Catholic, Lutheran, Anglican, something like that, you probably kind of adhered to a church calendar and you probably observed the season of Advent. Um, if you didn't grow up in church, if you grew up in like a non-denominational kind of church setting, then maybe, you know, it's, it's kind of 50-50. Maybe you know what Advent is, maybe you don't. Uh, but what what we're in right now is a season of Advent, and we'll talk a little bit about what that means. Each week, though, we have a theme. Last week, our theme was hope, and Brian walked us through that. This week, our theme is peace. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what is Advent, and then we'll get right into the text for today. The, the Bible refers to the time that we're in right now, and this is a time that begins when Christ sent his Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost to establish his church. It ends the day when he comes back and he establishes the new heavens and the new earth. The Bible calls this time period the last days, okay? So we're in the last days right now. This is, this is the last era, Of the redemptive calendar. We're all in it. And so in the last days, much has been done that has been waited for. But here's the thing, not all has been done. There are still some things that need to happen. And so we have received much, but we still wait. And if you wanted to have like a really brief snippet of what is Advent all about, Advent is a time when we recognize this. It's a time when we recognize we are on the receiving end of what people waited for millennia for. We've got it already, and yet here we are still waiting, just like they did. Still waiting for the full coming of certain promises to come to pass. And so so we look back and we recognize that the saints before Christ, they waited for a long, long time in faith. And we look at our here and our now joyfully because we recognize that we have the things that they waited for because of Christ Jesus. But we also recognize that we still live in a broken world with wars and sickness, uncooperative soil that leads to famine, makes our work hard, sin that leads to death. And so just like the saints of old, We recognize that the yearning in our hearts that all of us feel one way or another, we recognize that the yearning of our hearts is not ultimately for more stuff, and it's not ultimately for more recognition, and it's not ultimately for more pleasures here and now. We recognize during this season that that yearning in our hearts is for our Savior to come and to make all things new. This is what we're practicing putting ourselves in the way of. It's not something that happens once a year. It's something we're being intentional about right now. So as those who have Christ and as those who wait for Christ, we practice Advent with both satisfaction in what Christ has done for us and a longing for what he is going to do, what we're still waiting for. This week we're going to consider God's promise that Christ will bring peace. Of course that comes along with celebrating the fact that he has brought peace. That's where we find ourselves. This promise it's not a new promise. It's it's a promise that was made very quickly in the biblical story, it, but it works itself out very slowly a promise that was made quickly, but it works itself out very slowly. And so this yearning for peace in the the Bible is, is constant, it's urgent, but the ways that God unveils this peace is surprising, but faithful. He keeps to it. It was first made just after the first sin was committed, actually. God made the world in total peace. And what he means by that when we see the word peace in the Bible is total wholeness, total perfection. If I wanted to sound really pretentious, I would tell you it's shalom, but we're going to stick away from that. It just means peace, okay? Total wholeness, total perfection. But man brought violence to the world. That's what man brought in here. Nevertheless, immediately God promised that the woman would bear a son. And notice that in this promise, no mention of Adam's involvement, was in the promise, but God promised that the woman would bear a son and that this son would destroy the power of sin and death. So immediately after Adam and Eve had hoped for peace through their children, but what happened? Eve bore Cain. What good news. I've born a son with God's help, she said. Isn't that good news? God just promised. The child was born and she had another son. Better news, his name was Abel. And these sons grew up. And what happened? Cain did not bring peace. Cain murdered Abel. Adam and Eve had to keep waiting. And it wasn't just Adam and Eve who had to keep waiting. Generations waited. Did God fail to keep his promise? No. But he did not keep it in the time. Or in the way that they had expected. Instead, he revealed his intentions slowly and beautifully over time. His promises got more specific through the scriptural canon. He shared these promises at one point with a man named Abraham, and God promised that he would bless the whole world through this one man's offspring. God then performed this ceremony ratifying his promise to Abraham. And the amazing thing about this ceremony is that this ceremony gave the blessing of all these promises to Abraham. And it gave the curse of this covenant to God. Eventually, the offspring of Abraham blessed the world by bringing a man named Jesus. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's what everybody was waiting for. How did this man bless the world? One way he did it was by bringing peace. How would he bring peace? Our message for today is that Jesus brings peace. That's the entire message. Jesus brings peace. We're going to see that in three points from Ephesians 2. Our first point is that Jesus brings peace between man and God. Jesus brings peace between man and God. Did I get that in the right order to say God and man? Well, same, same. Our second point, Jesus brings peace among his people. Some of you are thinking, like, well, that's what you think. But he does. Jesus brings peace among his people. Our third point is that Jesus brings peace to the whole world. So let's start at the beginning. Jesus brings peace between God and man. So here's uh, let's let's look at Ephesians chapter two verse twelve. It says this: At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in the world. And so Paul is speaking here to people who are not ethnically Jewish. He's speaking to Ephesians, meaning that they were not descendants of Abraham's grandson Jacob. But more importantly. He makes this clear in the way he phrases this. More importantly, it means that they have no connection to the covenants by which God relates to his people. Okay, so, at that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. He lets them know in no uncertain terms that as Gentiles, they were without Christ and without hope. Why? Why? It's not a racial statement. He makes that clear. The Jews would have been raised up with an understanding of the covenants of promise. There there are plenty of ethnic Gentiles in the Old Testament that bear witness that he's not talking about just a racial thing here. The Jews would have been raised up with a clear understanding of the covenants of promise in general. The Gentiles would not. There's only one way to relate to God, the way he says, And so without that, without hope, without God in the world, so that that's who you guys were. That's what Paul is saying to the Ephesians. Ultimately, without the covenants of promise, the good news of how God relates to sinners through grace, that's what the covenants of promise is. Without these, any person is without Christ, without hope, and without God in the world, but with the covenants of promise. Well, that's a different story. With the promise comes hope for peace with God. That's what the covenants of promise bring for us. But here's the thing. A promise says, I will. I'm going to. It's a future-oriented thing. And that's what this Advent season is all about. It's recognizing that. The covenants of promise were future-oriented. They told God's people that he would one day make sense of how he could relate to them by grace, and that he would one day make this reality complete, not missing any parts, not having any barriers. The good news that Paul is telling the Gentiles in Ephesus is this you were separated from God, and therefore without hope, but because of Christ, you have been brought near. Christ was the fulfillment of the promise of coming peace between God and man. And so this is for the Gentiles, because the gospel went out to them. The gospel went out to all the world. This was was what Christ asked his disciples to do, to preach the gospel to all the world. For the Gentiles, Christ was the fulfillment of this promise of coming peace, because the gospel went out to them. And for the Jews, because... It was peace for them because those who knew the promises, well, they still needed fulfillment of these promises and they still needed saving. Christ was the fulfillment of the promise of coming peace between God and man. And that's why Paul says, he came and he proclaimed good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to you who are near. There's nobody on the planet earth who stands naturally without a need for peace to be brought between them and God. So here in this season of Advent, we remember that God's people waited for the coming of Christ for a long, long time. And as we prepare our hearts to celebrate his birth, we remember that God's people had been waiting for his birth since Genesis 3. And so some of you are probably asking God now, when will peace come An Advent is a time to recognize that this world can be a painful place to be. It's a time to mourn with those who mourn, to yearn together for God's coming kingdom, and to say with the saints of all of history, come Lord, come quickly. Could you imagine how Adam and Eve must have felt when after hearing that the child of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, Their child murdered their son instead. They were hoping for peace. And the one they hoped would bring them peace brought violence. And and maybe you feel this way too. You're not alone. The Bible's not the kind of book that's going to tell you you're feeling the wrong things, that you're alone in this world. If you have the kind of experiences like that, man, it's full of them. These are the main characters, and this is the main story. God's people waited, and we wait too. On this side of the cross, we have some special insight. We have some special good news. We have seen that God was faithful to his promise to the nth degree. He was worthy of his people's trust and patience. Man, I mean, we went through some of the Psalms this summer. Have you guys read through the Psalms? Over and over again, you hear things like, "How long, O oh Lord?" You hear these psalms of lament where the psalmists are just saying, "These other people are making fun of me." They just say, "Where's your God? Look around. Where's your God?" This is the way that Israel felt for so long. This is the taunt taken against Israel for so long. Here on this side of the cross, we have some special insight. We've seen that God was faithful to his promise. He was worthy of his people's trust, no matter what it looked like, and he was worthy of their patience. Let's look here at what uh, verses 13 and 14 say. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. Christ came, and he made peace with the Gentiles those who were far away. He did so through Christ. Look at verse 17. He says, He came and he proclaimed good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to you who are near. So those who were near needed Christ to bring peace. They had animal sacrifices, but those were only a shadow. They had priests, but their priests were only a shadow too. Those who are far need peace with God through Christ. But those who are near, they need it too. And that goes for all of us. This is why we confess every week. Man, I hope that's not the only time you confess, but if it is, I'm really glad that we do it. We are naturally just far away from God because of sin. It's good news to hear that he has come. And he spoke in peace to those who are far away. And for those of us who are part of this church community, who who feel and know that we are God's people, and still we sin, and still we have that barrier of enmity between us and God, it's good news for us to hear that God preaches peace to those who are near in Christ. The mystery has been solved. Peace has been made between God and man, and yet, right? Peace has been made between God and man, and yet. We're all going to go home, and reality's going to sink in. This peace, it has been declared. This peace has been revealed to our hearts, you know, in, in the book of Philippians, this same author, he talks about, you know, when, when you're anxious, just pray. Just, just cast your worries before God. And, and when you do the peace of God that goes beyond understanding, he doesn't promise that your circumstances are going to change us. When, when you pray in the midst of your circumstances, the peace of God that surpasses understanding will keep you in Christ Jesus. This peace has been declared, it's been revealed to our hearts, this peace of God that surpasses understanding. Man, I hope you know it, at least at times. Something you can come back to as an anchor. But this peace is not the final peace, when God will clothe us in robes of righteousness in his coming perfect kingdom. And so unlike those without Christ, we have peace. And yet, Like God's people always have, we wait for peace, don't we? And the peace we have and the peace that we wait for, they have something in common. Here's what it is Christ is our peace. Christ. Christ is our peace. How often do we ask Christ to give us peace? It's not a terrible prayer. But it's just like it's just a little bit off center. Bring me peace and be my peace are not the same. They require be my peace requires a different treasure. It requires your treasures to change. Our money is not our peace. Thank God. Our own righteousness is not our is not our peace. Well, that's good news too because that's a sham. Our acceptance among others is not our peace. As scripture for today says, he is our peace. It's Christ who is our peace. Christ himself, not the things that he brings, but him. So we don't look back in hope for peace from anything but Christ. And as we wait, we don't look forward in hope for peace from anything but Christ, the peace of God that surpasses understanding. It doesn't come from a change in external circumstances. It comes from Christ dwelling richly in our hearts. So that's point one. Jesus brings peace between God and man. Point two is that Jesus brings peace among his people. Jesus brings peace Among his people. You see, we cannot read this, he is our peace, without reading on to what it says next. I don't know if you noticed there was a little A after the number in the verses I just quoted. I broke up the verse a little bit, okay? So let's keep reading. What does it say next? It says, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in what? Peace. So there's peace between God and man. And now we're moving in this direction. Remember, he's writing to Gentiles and he's referencing their relationship with the Jews. And this is important for us today, not just because redemptive history is very important. That's probably why it's most important, but, but it's, it's important in ways that are easier for us to understand too. You see, we have a tendency as 21st century Americans to think of our faith in an overly individualistic way. It's me and God, right? And then we put a period at the end of that as if that's all there is. But God has always talked about his rescue mission in terms of a people, not just individuals. God saves a people. So of first importance is the fact that Jesus brings peace between God and man, but we cannot miss the second point here, that Jesus brings peace among his people. Okay? So to understand what Paul means here, you have to understand a little bit about the Jewish temples of the time. So he's talking about this dividing wall of hostility, okay? You see, in, in the temple, there were four courts forming sort of, you know, circles. And so here's just a little diagram of it. Here's what he's talking about. You see, right here in the center is the sanctuary. Right in the middle there, that's, that's where sacrifices would happen. There was this big, huge curtain, like this thick, that actually tore down the middle when Christ died, isn't that cool? They called that the Holy of Holies, but but next to that, that's where the priests. That that's called the Court of Priests. Okay, so that's sort of the inner area. Who do you guys think went to the Court of Priests? Yeah. All right. Ten points. Okay. And then the next the next rung out is the Court of the Israelites. Okay. Who do you think went there? The Israelites. Yeah. So we're talking about circumcised men, people who were under the covenant and representative in some way. So this is an an exclusive group still, but not as exclusive as the court of priests. Okay, then next is the court of women, and these would be Jewish women who could go to this court. And this is where you would find things like the poor box. It would be Jewish women went there. And then it's this, this little ring right here, this thin little place. That's called the court of Gentiles. Who do you think went there? the court of Gentiles, okay? And you see a thick line on the inside of the court of the Gentiles, okay? So when Paul talks about the dividing wall of hostility, he's talking a little bit less metaphorically than we may think he is. He's not talking about an ideological sort of dividing wall. He's talking about an actual wall, dividing people from people. Why? because of that first point, because all of this that happens is first defined by this. Okay, so the Jewish people had the covenant of circumcision. That allowed them to relate in a positive way with God because it spoke to what was coming in Christ. Without that, how could there be this? How could there be peace between people? the court of gentiles was the only part of the temple the uncircumcised could come to and so that's that's the dividing wall there was a literal dividing wall keeping them from going any further in and it's not because the jewish temple was wrong or bigoted or behind the times or backward it's it's not like that at all actually the jews were were the jews based on the sign of circumcision and all that came with that it's not just based on lineage and and actually one of the persistent surprises of israel's to israel's surrounding nations enemies in the Old Testament was that Yahweh wasn't just God over Israel, but he was God over all gods, and he was God over all nations and all peoples. And and when Israel went to battle against a foreign nation, the counselors who had read their history books knew well enough to counsel like, dude, we're not going to win. I know what happens with these people. Um. But that cuts both ways, too. There was always a promise that the God of Israel was a God over the whole world and that his blessing and his peace would also go out over the whole world. Actually we see glimpses through the whole Bible of God blessing foreign nations through Israel. If you make a practice in your family of reading the Gospels, I encourage you to read the lineage of Christ. You'll find some people who were brought into Israel. They weren't ethnic Jews who were part of Christ's lineage. So that's why the outer court, the court of the Gentiles, even existed. Um, the God of all nations was with Israel, so God gave the outsiders a measure of access, even those who remained separate from his covenants of promise, but, but there was only a measure. This was because this is how God related to his people at this time in redemptive history. He was foreshadowing the one who was to come, who would be named Jesus. Jesus would be the one who fulfilled everything the temple represented. He was the true sacrifice. He is the true priest. And it's through him that those near and those far come, not just to the court of the Gentiles, not just to the second or the third court, but to that inner court, to the inner court, the holy of holies. How do we come? By his blood, the actual blood, not the symbolic blood of rams and goats, but the real stuff. I mean, that's, we're gonna take communion later. That's what we're talking about, guys. As we all come to God through Christ, we find that when the walls separating from us from God fell down, all of the other walls fell down too. Circumcised, uncircumcised, Gentile, Jew, black, white, Asian, European. God has brought all peoples to him by the one man, Christ Jesus. And in doing this, we find that he has brought us together. He's brought us together. Our first need is for peace with God, but Jesus is the prince of peace. He doesn't just bring a little and then stop. What he does works through our hearts, and it spreads through our world like yeast through dough. It spreads out, and it changes everything. And so when Christ makes peace between us and God, he makes peace among his people too. And the way this looks on the outside is often through his people making peace among themselves. So there's kind of a call to action there. Our third point, Jesus brings peace to the whole world. Jesus brings peace to the whole world. That's why we sing joy to the world. Why is it so joyous to the world that Jesus would come? Peace in the Bible doesn't simply mean tranquility, satisfaction, the lack of violence. They're certainly part of it, but that's not the central meaning. The central meaning of the word peace when it's seen in the Bible is wholeness. Wholeness. It means to be complete. It means that everything is as it should be. And we all know that all is not as it should be in the world. No amount of positivity could possibly make us really believe that, could it? Not all is as it should be in the world. The central meaning of the word peace when it's seen in the Bible is wholeness. It means to be complete. It means everything is as it should be. We know that's not how it is now. And so this knowledge that we have, that things are not the way that they should be, It's our souls testifying that we need peace. Listen, guys, have you ever heard of another religion that takes the effect of sin as seriously as Christianity does, as the gospel does, and at the same time affirms your soul's crying out for peace as holy as the gospel message does. Have you? I haven't. Nobody takes it as seriously as Jesus. Our souls are testifying that we need peace. And who does the Bible call the Prince of Peace? You guys know this one. Yeah. <laughs> That's an incredibly loud whisper, Serena. Yeah. The Bible calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. Stage whisper, I think that's what they call that. The same one our text today says is our peace. The Bible calls the prince of peace. Jesus, the Christ, the promised one, the seed of the woman who's coming to make all things new. The Bible tells us that the kingdom of heaven, it's like a mustard seed, which though it's very small, becomes a huge tree that then becomes a refuge, okay? That's, that's how the Bible describes the kingdom of heaven. And some of you may be here today looking at Jesus, looking at this church, looking at the effect of faith in your own life and thinking it looks a lot like a mustard seed. Small, less than you'd hope for. Maybe you're expecting to be a way better person than you are today if you became a Christian. If you aren't, I'd encourage you to set your sights higher. We all should be better, <laughs> but we're not. It's good news that we have a Savior. Maybe you expected to be more financially secure than you are. Maybe you thought you would have more fulfilling relationships than you do, or at least less painful and harmful ones. And, and if, if any of these are you, maybe, maybe you've decided to find peace in your own way, to sort of affirm with your mouth to some measure that Christ gives you peace because that's the right answer, but to go find peace in your own way in life, maybe by drowning out the noise, or by drowning out the lack of peace with noise, maybe by filling up all the space in your life with pleasures. Maybe by ignoring the haters. I don't know. Maybe that's where you're at. Or it could be that following Jesus has cost you so much and caused such great pain. Remember, as God's people always have, we are waiting for Jesus. We're waiting for him. The mustard seed hasn't bloomed fully yet. Don't judge the mustard seed by what it looks like today. Look to God's promise. He has always delivered on his promise. Didn't Jesus come for you? Wasn't he born in Bethlehem? According to the promise? And man, read the Christmas story. He wasn't supposed to be born in Bethlehem. I mean, he had to travel there. That's that's why we sing these cute songs about Mary on the cobblestone streets, about the donkey that carried his mother to Bethlehem town. History was obeying the prophecies of God. Didn't Jesus come for you? Didn't he? He did. Didn't Jesus die for you? Go find his tomb. You can't. So? So? Doesn't Jesus live for you? The mustard seed, it does begin small. That's why faith looks forward. Faith looks forward. It begins small, and whatever it may look like today, we know what the seed will become. We know because God is faithful to fulfill his promises. And the good news today is that there's not a nanometer of this earth that's going to go untouched by the Prince of Peace. Here's some of the testimony we have from Scripture of what's coming in terms of peace. He's going to make all the soldiers beat their swords into plowshares because he's going to end every war, every skirmish, and every schoolyard fight. He's going to restore all peoples, plants, animals, and even the dirt to its purpose of bringing him glory in peace and in glorious wholeness. He's going to stop the violence of death and bring us to a new garden where we get to eat from the tree of life. The one who is our peace, he's going to be so close that we won't need a temple. And his glory is going to shine so brightly that we won't need a sun. The God of heaven and earth came to bring peace, and he will. Bring it, just as he was born a baby, just as he lived as a man, just as he died as a sinner. But he came gradually, beautifully, in his very own time and in his very own way. That's why we need to rehearse his story. It's a good thing to rehearse his story, to know his story, to know it like the back of your hand he comes in his own time and in his own way and it always surprises us could anyone have ever guessed that god was going to become a baby it was so surprising could they have ever guessed that he would make peace with us by suffering being humiliated dying i mean this was a travesty at the time that they put this sign that said king of the jews over his head as a joke. And yet they fulfilled prophecy by doing so. The only thing that wasn't surprising about the coming of our peacemaker was that God remained faithful to his promise. He always does, and he always will. Every disappointment in the waiting, every detail to how he fulfilled his promise was a surprise. And friends, that remains no different today. He will surprise you in the ways that he fulfills his promises. And without faith, surprise, is just called disappointment. But he came. He's worthy of our trust. We have enough information to know that God is worthy of our trust, but not so much that everything makes sense. And so that's why we wait in faith. His work has been done until now in a way that requires us to look forward and hope as we wait, and it only makes sense as we look backward in gratitude and awe. So if if he who is our peace is not going to forget even the dirt, don't you think he will remember you too? In whatever way you're waiting for peace, don't you think he will remember you too? He's not going to forget the dirt, guys. He's going to remember you. But here's the thing. We don't wait for his peace to come passively, and that's the temptation, isn't it? The temptation is that Christ is coming again to bring peace, so let's just distract ourselves, and let's, let's keep ourselves as comfortable as possible until he comes. That's not how it works. The citizens of the kingdom of the Prince of Peace, we cannot live under imposter kings. This city, Ephesus, that Paul was writing to. It was this powerful city. Read the book of Acts. There's this amazing story. They had this tiny contingent of Christians in this city. And what did they do in this city? They had a very powerful um, group of idol makers, and they loved Artemis. Artemis was kind of their god. And what happened when people became Christians? Well, it kind of cut into their Because they couldn't worship idols anymore. And so there's this amazing and dramatic scene in the book of Acts when, in in Ephesus, this small little group of Christians had enough of an impact on the local economy that the idol makers staged a protest and they ran down the street saying, Praise God, praise God, (laughs) praise Artemis, God of the Ephesians. That's what happens when Christians are waiting. That's what happens when we're waiting. We don't wait just passively as if we have no God with us in the world. We wait in a way that the idol makers have to run down the street asserting their authority, scared for their income. That's the way we wait in faith. We serve him, we trust him, we hope in him as we live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. As we do this, we bring his kingdom to the earth in small ways. Waiting for him in faith is the very same thing as bringing the kingdom to the earth in small ways. Do you know that the kingdom lives in you? Do you know that the kingdom lives among us right now? That's what we mean when we say already but not yet. The kingdom is here in measures. Wherever the gospel lives, the kingdom of God lives. We can bring peace to the earth by giving the gospel to someone who's dead in sin. We can bring peace to the earth by giving the gospel to each other, reviving our spirits and our faith. We can bring peace to the earth by loving our neighbors as ourselves and loving our enemies as only people who know they've already received an irrevocable peace can do. We can bring peace to the earth by stewarding the earth as those who are inclined to give from the fullness they've received and not just take endlessly. Church, he's worthy of our trust. He knows your needs better than you know yourself. We're in a unique position in redemptive history right now. The Christ has brought us peace, and yet the fullness of his peace is still to come. So as we wait, we look back at what he has done. He came to us, shattering all expectations. He came to us. God himself became a man to bring us peace with God and peace with each other. He's broken down that dividing wall And sent his peace out to all the nations as he promised. That's why we're here in America. We're not in Israel right now. Isn't that crazy? Man, you may think of America as God's country. I don't. You may. Um, But that's a new thing. It's amazing that we're here worshiping Yahweh, we're not natives. He broke down that dividing wall. He sent his peace out to all nations, just as he promised he would. God has done everything he said he would do. He's worthy of our trust. Will you trust him? Will you cast your cares on him? Will you follow him in the way he has asked to be followed? Those are all just ways of saying, will you trust him? There's one more way. Will you wait for him as he's asked for you to wait? As we wait, we look forward to what we know he will do. He's been faithful in all he said he would do until now. He came for us. He died for us. He lives for us. We know that he will also do what remains to be done. And so we look forward in hope. Just as our brothers and sisters from the Old Testament looked forward to the first coming of the Messiah, we look forward to the second He will come to make all things new, to bring perfect peace. We can safely invest every bit of ourselves into this hope for coming peace. that will come as surely as he came before. Jesus came. He's coming again. When he does, you will be whole. I will be whole. Our whole world will be whole. May he come quickly. May we wait faithfully until he does. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church.